Booking more events is a great goal for any wedding bro. But as your business grows and you start filling your calendar, it's super important to get more from each date that you book. It's the only way you can live out the fantasy of work less, make more. Unfortunately, many wedding pros get in their own way when it comes to booking higher packages. Some of it's mindset, but a lot of it's bad pricing and package design. In this week's episode, I talk with my friend and fellow educator, Megan Gillikin, about what stands in your way of getting more for the dates that you fill and what to do about it. Also, quick heads up for you planners out there. Megan and I are hosting a free workshop on Monday, February 20th. It's called Why Couples Don't Book Full Service Planning and What to Do About It. Register with the link in show notes and join us. If you're stuck in the vicious cycle of booking month of clients and you want more full planning couples, you don't want to miss this. Own Your Business is a podcast for event professionals who want to grow with proven approaches. I'm Sam Jacobson, a sales, pricing, and copywriting expert in the wedding industry. Throughout my career, I've booked hundreds of events for millions in revenue. I've also led teams in premium and luxury markets. Now I coach people like you with my company, ID Action Consulting. It's not easy to run a business, especially if it's a business of one, because we aren't born knowing everything. Like you, I had experts who showed me the way when I was starting out and when I was ready to level up. I hope this podcast gives you the confidence to own your business. I am so excited for my second official on-the-record conversation with Megan Gilligan. Thank you so much, Megan, for coming on. I've been on your podcast three times now, I think. So I think like it's a bit of a horse race of like how many times I can be on your podcast and how many times you can be on mine. You are my first repeat guest. Thank you so much for being on twice. Amazing. Thanks for having me. I'll be looking out for like the badge in the mail or whatever you whatever swag you send out for that second second podcast recording. I'm here for it. Is that what you're supposed to do? I'm I don't know. No, no. no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to make a note. Megan's love language for receiving is gifts. That's right. I love it. I love it. Well, I'm, <laughs> well, I'm really you. excited for this conversation, Sam. Yeah, good, good. Well, so uh, if people have not uh, listened to our first episode, which we did on how to expand and 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 build a referral network in authentic to you, genuine ways. Uh, give us a little bit of background uh, for your experience in the wedding industry and what you're currently doing now so that everybody can get to know you a little more. Yes. So I've been in the events industry since around 2006, coming up on, that's a lot of years. We won't do the math for that. I haven't had enough coffee yet this morning. But I got my start in the hotel side of the industry, working for Marriott in all the different non-glamorous positions that you can imagine. Back in 2010, I became a wedding planner after going on a job interview that turned into an offer to buy an existing business. Lots of bumps and bruises and twists and turns along the way. But in 2022, after 12 years of building and scaling that business, I sold it to one of the members of my team. And now I do coaching and education for the wedding industry full time. I started doing that right before the pandemic, a couple years before that in a one-on-one situation. And I have a membership for wedding planners where we tackle all things business and helping them grow. I love that. I love that. You and you and I have the kind of uh, same background. We both started in 2006 and we did probably the, you know, the dirtiest, grimiest, you know, least glorified jobs at a venue and then decided we were going to get the hell out of there and do something more interesting with our lives. That's right. That's right. I mean, those are some good days. I still have uh, quirks from working in hotels that I'll never let go. I don't know about you, but when I go to stay in a hotel, there's a whole routine there, whole routine. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, I so I have eight years as a lodging director in addition to the event sales work I did. But before that, I was in restaurants for a dozen years. So pretty much anytime I go out and eat at a restaurant or a bar, uh, I have to face the wall because I don't want to look out on the floor because the, uh, the old manager mindset in me is like, well, that hostess wasn't very polite or what's yes. that buster doing over there on his phone? He should oh be my. taking care of the table or 100%. Yeah. 100%. <laughs> you know, I like chef just did in the back there and that's right. not okay. I'm pretty much the worst um, date to attend a wedding. My poor husband is like, well, this is, I feel like you're just working. This is, this is not <laughs> well let's 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 get into our conversation you know me no 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 fluff straight to business um because we've got so much really good stuff to talk about today and the topic of conversation is how we can help wedding pros who are listening to the podcast episode 
book more couples at higher packages because ultimately there's only so many dates on a calendar that you can fill or so many inquiries that you're getting that you can convert to, to clients. And so you've got to make the most out of what's coming through your inbox. You know, when it comes to revenue, there are two ways that you can grow revenue. You can either do more transactions or you can get more per transaction. And I think when you're first starting your business, you think, how can I book more, book more, book more. But at some point you realize that you don't want to book more. You just want to book higher price points because you don't want to work every weekend of the year or double headers or whatever it might be. Yeah. And I think it's not even when you're first starting your business. I I believe that where we are right now, currently recording this episode, we're coming out of just a really bonkers couple years. And there was a scarcity mentality in 2021 that many wedding pros, whether they were, you know, five years in, 10 years in, two years in, it was, I need to book, like I need to get business on the books. I need to recover any financial loss that may have occurred over the pandemic and start to stack the calendar. And so now where we are in 2023 currently is that wedding pros are craving the ability to have a little bit of space in their lives and work with clients that are a really good fit, but at a price point that means that they don't have to work every single weekend of the year. But I think there's some hurdles to overcome to feel really solid in that process. It's it's true. I, I agree 100% with you know, kind of the hindsight and and evaluation of where people are at. I think we did get a little spoiled with the free time that we had, even though it was stressful and worrisome with the business side of things, it was nice to kind of hang out more with the family and be at home. And, you know, for those who traveled a lot, not have to travel so much. Um, at the same time, it kind of brings back this, this, um, this, this experience that I had early on. I, when I started doing coaching and consulting, I had been on a website of another educator and she had said on there something like, you know, book less, make more. And I was like, Oh, that's the fantasy, isn't it? Book less, make more. And and it's, it's a, it's a hard thing to do uh, because it, it means that you have to move to one side of the bell curve that isn't very full in the sense that, you know, most of your couples will be average rather than spending a ton of money. And so there's a lot of things that go into making that process happen, which is what we're going to unpack today. So Megan, when we go through and we think about how people can actually do this almost impossible, or at least what it seems like from the beginning, book less, make more, what are some of the challenges that you see getting in the way mindset wise? I think there's a few to unpack here, Sam. I think um, one of them is that in our industry, wedding pros in general want to serve couples. And there's some people pleasing and some fear of uh, sounding too salesy or being too pushy that comes to mind. And I can speak to this firsthand because I just did a recording for my podcast, Weddings for Real, where we went out and we spoke with couples. We interviewed them at a wedding showcase. We walked around, we got in their heads, we asked them questions while they're really in that wedding mindset, right? They're there, they're meeting vendors, they're tasting food, they're doing all the things. And I could hear so much of the lack of understanding and really grasping what wedding pros do and what all goes into the packages. So I think what happens is couples get engaged, they start planning their wedding, they have little or no knowledge of what should come first, what cost of everything should be. I asked this question, I was like, where are you coming up with your budget? Like, where where are you finding this number? And some of them are just pulling it out of the air. Some of them are Googling it. Some of them, one of the couples mentioned that their dad Googled how much a wedding should be in that city and then took $10,000 off of what that total was. <laughs> And so I think what happens is wedding pros are getting these inquiries coming in no matter what category they are. And there's such a disconnect from what the couples know and what they think they need versus the service offerings that we have and the packages that we have that they, it feels like a big stretch to meet those couples where they are and walk them through the process to help them understand what we do. 
And I think that's probably like the biggest hurdle that mm. pros are feeling. You know, it's interesting uh, that last bit that you said, it's a, it's a, it's a big stretch to make. There's uh, something that, that humans are, are prone to. It's a cognitive bias called anchoring. And the, the way that anchoring works is that we tend to start with something in mind and then the things that we think about or, or the actions that we take start from that point and move outwards. So for instance, if, if I wa- was thinking about um, you know a number like 100 and I asked you to come up with a number, then the chances are you would come up with a number that was close to 100. If I mentioned a number that was like 10, chances are you would come up with a number that would be close to 10. The, the guys, Daniel Kahneman and Amos Sarosky, who came up with this concept of, of anchoring actually won a Nobel Prize in 2003, first economists uh, for uh, the behavioral side of things to, to win the prize. It was that big of a deal. And if you go through and you look at how anchoring impacts the purchase process, you realize how important it is to start with a good anchor because mm-hmm. if you start with a bad anchor, everything that you're trying to do is about undoing that bad anchor. And that's that's really what it is that you just said happens is that couples are coming up with an anchor on their own or yes. their dad is setting an anchor yes. and and saying that this is the number. And so everything that you start from that rather than starting from a, a truer number, a better representation of what it's actually going to be. Yes, I think that's absolutely makes so much sense to me as you were explaining it. And then I was thinking, like, what's another hurdle that is a big problem here for getting couples to book bigger packages. We've talked about this, Sam, I know many times, but I think one of the other hurdles is as wedding professionals, you know, we start our business and we start booking and we get into the day-to-day of serving our couples and we, we kind of get into this routine, right? And if you've been in business for quite some time, it can be harder and harder to take your business brain and step outside of it for a moment and put yourself in the shoes of your prospective clients. And I think we lose a lot of that perspective of what are they feeling? What are their thoughts? What are their pain points? And we just get into like, this is our process. This is how we serve our clients. This is what step one looks like. This is what step 17 looks like. And we've lost the ability to shift our brains to really understand what our couples are feeling. And that leads to not great sales process and not as great of listening on those discovery calls, which I know you talk a lot about as well. But we then, inquiry comes in, they say they want X package. We hop on a call, we confirm, great, this is the package. We send them the contract and all of a sudden we've booked our calendar with the lowest package offering all year long. You know, it's interesting. I remember 20. 30 years ago, maybe I saw this commercial. It was the CEO of Bank of America and this guy's down in their check processing area. And it's this 30 second spot. And at some point he says at Bank of America, we don't process 11 million checks a day. We process one check 11 million times. I've never forgotten that. It made such an impact on me and I've carried it through all of my hospitality experience it was something that was echoed by a service manager, a guy named Brian, that I had way back in my Olive Garden days, the OG days. And and he said to me, he said, hey, Sam, never forget that the person, the family of four that's coming in here to dine at the Olive Garden, the father of that, this is 25, 30 years ago, the father at that particular time probably needed to work a day that week just to be able to afford taking his family out to dinner on Friday night or Saturday night as a, as an experience. And for them, it could be a once a month or even a once every three or four months type of special occasion. And even though it may just be one more table for you, for them, it's the only experience that they're going to have that week, that month, maybe that three or four month period. And it's literally, as I'm talking about this, it still gives me goosebumps because as as sappy as it sounds, I have I have always tried to apply that. It's one of the reasons why I dislike templates so much. And one of the reasons why I have written every single one of my inquiry responses over the last 16, 17 years from scratch, because I believe that I have to process that inquiry one time. 
not another inquiry came in. That's the first time that this couple is inquiring with me. I should treat it like a new experience. And I, that's how I push reset on the empathy, on trying to imagine what it's like for them to inquire, on personalizing it. And I, for me, it's always worked. And it's something that I recommend to all my coaching clients. It's just, a, it's just it's baked into my process that that's how you push reset and get in tune with the empathy. You know what? You just in saying that, Sam, about the empathy, I was listening to you and I was thinking, I almost am the the opposite side of that, like a little too much empathy sometimes. And I think that if that's a thing, um, I think that wedding pros too, that would be something that is holding back the ability to really connect with couples and hear their offerings and then speak to it. Because maybe if, I don't know if this relates to you, if you're listening to this right now, but the empathy, right? We think, okay, I've, I've built this business. I'm charging X amount, but I don't know if I would ever pay what I'm charging. You know, that feeling of like, will someone pay fifteen, twenty thousand dollars $20,000 and you get into the taking too much of the empathy and putting it into your couple's experience that has a different budget, a different money mindset, a different view on priorities, and you start to keep yourself small and um, speak to smaller packages because you're fearful that they won't see the value in spending more. You, I, I totally agree. It's hard sometimes for us to imagine that we would have couples that would make different decisions. And that's certainly a limiting factor in how fast we can move forward into a premium or luxury market is that we could never imagine what it would be like to spend that kind of money on things. Mm -hmm. But, you know, the, the old rule of thumb is just add a zero to it. And that's typically what your clients are willing to pay compared to what you are willing to pay. So, you know, if you if you make say you make $75,000 and you're working in the premier luxury segment and these people, you know, maybe they make collectively $700,000, which there are a lot of people, especially as you move up mm -hmm. into people who are buying higher packages or in the luxury segment, mm -hmm. you know, you could go out to dinner and instead of paying, you know, $30 for an entree, you could spend $300 an entree instead mm -hmm. of spending, you know, $1,500 on a round trip ticket from Seattle to the Netherlands, you could spend $15,000. And, and and so on, you just add a zero, it's just an order of magnitude. And so that's certainly something for us to keep in mind. Uh, another another empathy thing that I think is really powerful, and, and tell me, Megan, if this is something that you've experienced, uh, it wouldn't surprise me um, in the sense that I know that you're such a sensitive spirit and that you connect so much with the people who are around you, especially your clients. I was working with a client last month, just before the holidays, and she came to me, she's a planner in the luxury segment, she has full service planning and design. She only wants to take on a handful of clients a year, you know, six to eight, something like that. And she she actually connects so much with her clients that she was afraid of letting down her guard during the discovery process and connecting enough with the client to make it meaningful because she didn't want to get hurt if the client didn't book her. And so she almost put up a bit of a wall and didn't allow that person in because she was worried, well, if they say no, then I'm going to feel hurt like I just lost a friend. And so th that was a, that was the thing that I look back on with my coaching clients. I see quite a bit. And now my I'm like super tuned into that because I can see, especially with planners early on, how easy it is to get committed. And the, the opposite of, of being you know in that relationship is being rejected by it. And that can be very painful. Yeah, for sure. I definitely think that's something um, that plays into certain personality types, but not others. And that's that's what's so great about these discussions is different pros are affected in different ways. But the things that we've covered already about um, being able to really lean into the empathy, maybe something that some wedding professionals struggle with because they're more in the day to day that like I'm moving through my process. Here's what comes next. And they're missing some of those connection points. And then there's some that it's related to money mindset. And then there's some that it's related to fear of rejection or that feeling of imposter syndrome of why would they choose me? over other options and it's overcoming some of those things that is so important but at the heart of it and I think this is something you and I both agree with it's about listening right it's about listening for those pain points that couples are feeling and then connecting that to your offerings and 
one of the things that I talk so much about with planners within the planner's vault is the idea that as many couples as there are and as many um you know, customizations that there are for weddings and as many just weddings that there are year after year. Truly, from a planning perspective, I can narrow down into about six categories or buckets the same general pain points that you're going to hear in those initial conversations. And it's a matter of, as the wedding professional, knowing, okay, when I hear this particular pain point, I know that like, that's something that is a, a, and Sam, I'm curious what terminology you use differently than I do. But for me here, it would be like, what is my skill set that matches being able to meet or exceed the needs of what the couple feels here? Mm-hmm. Well, at the end of the day, businesses exist to solve the customer's problems, period, yeah. end of story. Yeah. yeah. I think that we do creative things. You know, we, we may create something that is, um, you know, visually beautiful. You could even call it art in some ways. Um, but at, at, at some point, there's a money transaction that occurs. You can create art for the sake of art and, and not have a money transaction and it's not a business. But when you have a money transaction becomes a business and when that transaction occurs, there's an expectation that you as a service provider are providing a solution to either a functional need or an emotional need that the customer has. And so what we're always looking for as business owners, as service providers, and especially as salespeople of our services for our businesses is how can we identify what problems our customers have and problems could be a, it could be a problem in, in the the sense of it being a pain point like you mentioned mm-hmm. or it could be a pleasure point a, a, a point of joy mm-hmm. a desire that they have that's unmet and yeah. so that's what you're trying to solve for and, and we're going to spend more time talking about this i'm i'm certain of it for the remainder of the the episode and that is that the more pain points and pleasure points you can help the client uncover the more value your services have and therefore the higher option they will choose and the more money they are gladly willing to spend now that they know how much more they need from you. Yes. Yes. That's so true. And and we've talked about this in, in all the things that we've collaborated on, but the approach to me is uh, so similar into your like the way that you view it. And you bring so much from the psychology standpoint, but for me, it's like when I get on that call, I know most likely that that couple is thinking right now that if they have any sense of my pricing or my packages, they've scoured my website, they may have uh, worked their friends with the clients that I've worked with before. So they know something, perhaps like a, an anchor, as you mentioned, or they've Googled how much should X wedding professional cost. And so in their mind, they have a number. But my job is to almost like come in, kind of circle around, take an inventory of what they know, get a sense of their personality, which I I'm a, I could totally nerd out on on that side of things. Like some of those cues that you pick up in that initial just couple minutes of what they're saying and how they're speaking and their general energy that they're bringing to the conversation. And then it's how can I like come in and kind of like poke a little bit, but then also get a sense of like, ooh, what is the thing that like, as you mentioned, like the pleasure point too of like, what is the exciting thing that I know that if I can get a sense of what they're really, really dreaming about, I can then paint that picture for them with my offerings. And that's where I think many wedding professionals are possibly like not leaning into that as much of how do I not just give them what they asked for, but help them paint the picture of what it could be with some of the higher package offerings that we have. Yeah. Because I think most planners are just providing a menu of services. Somebody inquires. It's like, I feel like it's like people are working at McDonald's, right? And, and again, I think a lot of this goes back to, you know, we are not millionaires and billionaires, but we may be serving millionaires and billionaires mm-hmm. or even people who are just, you know, high earning, you know, high net worth individuals that have affluence and willingness to spend it. We may not be there as service providers, as planners or photographers or videographers or whatever. And so when you think about the kind of experiences we're used to, we don't have highly personalized experiences. We don't stay necessarily at hotels that have concierges that mm-hmm. are, are creating a, a personalized and tailored experience for you at the hotel. 
And so when we think about what it is that, that when our couples ask us for something, we respond with what we're used to. And what we're used to is here's a menu of services. Here's a website with all the information. Choose something if you're interested and let me know. But that's not how you have to move through a complex sales transaction like we're doing with wedding vendors. We are we have to guide them through because they don't know what they don't know. And so it's different than just pushing a menu across or like, okay, thanks for coming to the front of the line. What would you like to eat today? That That's mm-hmm. not what we're doing. And that's why sending out pricing guides is so challenging. When you send out a pricing guide right after an inquiry response, that's like just you know having somebody move to the front of the line at McDonald's and, and asking them, great, what would you like from the menu I presented you? Yeah, I am so glad you said that. And I was jotting down notes as you were talking because I've said this before, but I think wedding professionals forget as we talked about, like what the journey is for the couple. So I always default to this. They're sitting on their couch. They've worked a long day at their job. They're maybe with their significant other. They're watching something on TV. They they know that they need to, we'll use a wedding planner here in this specific example, but you could, you could sub in any other category. They know that they, they think they need a wedding planner. Their coworker just told them again today. They they are feeling like the process of planning the wedding is is going slow and they're not getting the they're trying to figure out how to juggle all the things and so they're they're scouring websites they fill out a couple um contact forms they're looking on instagram and then they start to get the same thing back so let's say they reached out to four different planners and they're getting those pricing proposals and i use the analogy of like have you ever been to the cheesecake factory i have never been my brother worked there for a couple of years I'm i mean that many inside out that menu, the size of the menu alone is like, I don't know, a 12 by 16 that they hand to you. And then you open it up and it's like eight pages long. And the font is like size 10 font. And there's so many things going on. And you're just like, I don't know. I feel completely overwhelmed. And what planners specifically, our whole job is to reduce the overwhelm. But what we're doing in our first interaction with these clients is completely overwhelming them. And that's such a mistake. And I know that you have talked about this so much and I feel the same way, but now we're one of four to five uh, PDF pricing proposals, like a Cheesecake Factory menu of services that has landed in the client's inbox and they open it up trying to look, you, you talk about this so much, but they open it up, they look at it on their phone and what do they do? Do they then immediately book a discovery call? Absolutely not. They look at it for like 12 seconds and then they're like, and no, and they close it. Um, so the two so major true. things. It's yes. so true. And I, I have the exact same vision in my mind, but it's typically like she got sucked into watching the football game. Yes. And bridge rested in and she's like, well, I'm going to pull my phone out and do some wedding planning while I, I you know, accomplish yep. on what we're watching for TV. Yes. Yes, yes. And I think so wedding pros listening to this right now, it's really I see two main paths of what happens. One is they don't respond and they they ghost you and you don't hear back from them. And you're wondering why, because you're responding really quickly and you're sending them the information and then they're not getting back to you and you're frustrated by it. Or alternatively, you send the information and they book a call or they write back to you and they say like, great, I want to go with this package and you move it right along. And then you find yourself working with clients that have booked the smallest package, but really need more, but you missed that walking them through. And so now you have a bunch of clients that are booked at a base level package and you're doing more work or you're experiencing that scope creep because They never really understood what it could look like to work with you in a larger capacity. So now you're resentful, you're overwhelmed, you're not making the money that you want to make in your business, and your client is disappointed as well because they have needs that aren't being met, but they didn't really understand that had they gone with a larger package, those needs would have been met or exceeded. I'm just going to take a pause there because that's probably 90 seconds worth of the most important information that I've heard in a long time Mm. for dropping that knowledge bomb. I got real passionate there. I was, I was counting on my hands. I was, I was, I was in the zone. 
<laughs> I was I was waiting for you to stand up. I was like, stand up during this. I really I could feel my heart rate going up. I was just I I just felt it. Yes, yes. I love it. And well, and it's and it is it's solid gold. If you're listening to this, go back and listen to the last three minutes because that is so true. That that's how resentment builds on both sides of the the relationship. Mm. Your clients are you know dissatisfied that they aren't getting what they need now that they know it. You know, weeks months later. And you are fresher because you're not getting paid for all the work that you're now doing for free because you are a conflict avoider and don't want to tell people no. And so you end up doing it anyways without charging them. Yes. And so maybe if you're listening to this and you're processing this, you can take a different angle in the way that you are viewing the sales process, that it's not you coming in feeling all salesy and feeling like you have to be like, hey, you should book my larger package. I want you to spend more money with me. It's really going in and Sam, you you call it a discovery call and of course, like you're there to discover, right? You're there to discover where they are. You're there to discover if it is a client that you want to work with, you're there to discover if the pain points that you hear are ones that you can actually solve. And if they're not, that's great, right? I think that's one of those things. I I, I failed at this early on because to me, it was um, anything I heard, I would be the solution for. And it was, that probably came from a bit of scarcity mentality, definitely some people pleasing and anything was, okay, well, I'm a planner. I will figure out how to solve that. And as my career advanced, I started to shift where when I, my favorite question, all all time, like if you can only ask one single question on a discovery call is, so what's keeping you up at night when it comes to planning the wedding? And uh, of course, I'd love to ask so much more, but if I only, if they're like, what's the one question you're going to ask? That's that's my go-to because I'm going to hear right in that moment, quick, straight to the point, I'm going to hear the pain point that is top of mind to them that they're really struggling with. And I'll know, like, if the answer is my soon-to-be mother-in-law who is just over the top and is coming in and micromanaging the process and she's insisting that, you know, this be done this way, this is done that way, and it's it's really, really stressful, I'm going to take a moment on that and really try to better understand if this is a relationship that I want to enter into for the next 12 to 18 months of my life. Is it going to be worth it? Is the whatever fee that I'm charging to deal with someone that is going to not have any boundaries, that is going to disrespect my time, that is going to like create anxiety in my couple? Like, Do I want to solve that problem or is there someone else that might be a better fit for it? So wrapping up that point, it is that um, the questions that we're asking are what so much better help us know, is this the right client for us? And are there service offerings that this client needs that they don't know yet, that it is my job as the expert and as the guide on this call to help them see, hey, I know you came in thinking that you just want um a day of coordinator, which is a whole other podcast that we could do. But I know you came in thinking that you want a day of coordinator. That's actually not something that really exists in our industry. The baseline of the service offerings that we have is XYZ. But I also heard you mention this, this, and this, which makes me want to walk you through a little bit more about what it would look like to work with us where we can help solve this, this, this. And I'm you know, generalizing here, but mm-hmm. yeah. But, you know, I think what you're talking about here is uh, something similar to what I've uh, I've read about. There's a great book called The Challenger Sale, and it's written by a consulting company that went through and looked at a bunch of studies that had been collected over the years about what makes a salesperson successful. And what they found is that one of the key characteristics of a very successful salesperson is that they push back with what the customer thinks that they need and they challenge them to reimagine that they have more needs than they actually thought they did. And so if, if you look at the, the, you know, kind of from a profile of what the discovery call looks like before you make it better by solving the problems, like you mentioned, like we just want to solve problems. You actually have to make it a little bit worse than they actually thought. You got to put them a little bit more in the hole so that the hole is deeper and wider 
and harder to get out of than they ever thought because that's really what's going on. But if you mm-hmm. gloss over that and you just get them to the solution, they don't realize how valuable the things are that you're doing mm-hmm. or how much more they need than they had first thought. And so that's a that's one of the three types of questions that I recommend during the discovery call is this challenge question where you're pushing the limits of what it is that they think they know about your service so that when they have that aha moment of like, wow, okay, I guess I don't know what I don't know. What else don't I know? Mm-hmm. Then they get curious and they start to trust you a little bit more. And when that when that moment happens, that's when you are helper and problem solver rather than salesperson or order taker. And that's yeah. that's the magic. That's when you can start charging more for your services. And, and they're asking you for the higher price package rather than the lower price one. Oh, I know. I always, that's when I... That's my favorite part is when, um, and I know you and I, we have this project that we're working on that we'll share more on soon. But in my process, one of my favorite little hacks is when I am just walking them through a general overview of what it might look like to work together, I turn it into like a a storytelling moment. So I'll be walking them through and this is when, you know, we'll come in with this package and we'll help here. And I drop these tiny little stories of things that have happened in the past that we have solved our couple's problems to that I know just because I know I can get into their head pretty well. I know they haven't even thought about those things until this moment. And I just am, we're just casually going on this walk, this storytelling journey. And I'll say something like, and you know, one of the things that we're going to make sure that we do on the wedding day is before the band announces that it's time for the best man to do the toast, we'll be touching base with them and making sure that the best man's not outside smoking a cigar or in the bathroom. And I always watch their eyes get a little bit bigger because then they go and they drift off to the best man that they are having for their wedding. They're like, that is totally like that would happen with them. And then it's those little, just tiny little stories throughout that discovery call that at the end, I know I've won. I hate to say won, but I know I've won when they're like, um, well, I know we said we were interested in this package, but could you would it could you send us the information for the package that you just went over? And I'm like, absolutely. I'll make sure that I include a few different things. You guys take your time to look through everything. And that's when I do that. Got him. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, and, and it, it, you know, I think it's interesting. And I want to come back to something that you said there. It's interesting that you look at that in that way because that is the goal, right? That's what winning looks like is not getting them to say yes, but getting them to recognize at that point in time that they need more from you than they ever thought they did. That's yes. the definition of what a win is, not, not a yes on the phone call, which a lot of, right go into it like i want to no. sell on this call that's why i call it a discovery call because you're not trying to sell anything yeah i like that clarification yeah yeah I, and you know i said win but yes it's like i want them to the whole win is that we get to the end of the call and they get off the phone and i i picture this conversation often but they get off the phone they look at each other or they get off of the you know if it's a video or in person they look at each other and they're like oh I didn't realize that that was something that was we even had to think about. And also when she brought up that one point, that is huge. Like we absolutely need that. And that's that's my ultimate goal. Not a yes, send us the contract. We're ready to move forward. And I want to I want to dig into that a little bit, too, and and talk about how important it is to let your couples go through this process. That's one of the reasons why. I don't recommend it. I know you don't either trying to sell on that call because those aha moments, those moments of discovery, they take time to process and they need to talk about it offline, especially if only one of them is on the call, which is, you know, my experience mm-hmm. 80, 90% of the mm-hmm. time, that first discovery call you do is with one person, the scout buyer who's going on collecting all the information and bringing it back to the committee that's considering things. And so if you move straight into, I'm going to sell you on something, when they're all of a sudden realizing things for the first time and haven't chatted with their fiance or family about it, they can never say yes. And so if you leave them with a problem rather than a solution, they're going to have the desire, the craving, the urge, the need to close the loop with the solutions that you offer to the problems that you just created. 
And so it's doing it in order and allowing enough time for your proposal that you send after the discovery call to really take effect so that it means more and and has more value and therefore they're willing to pay more for it. Time is actually on your side. It's not about closing a deal quickly. That's for simple transactions that are mm-hmm. that don't involve multiple people, that don't have as much emotions or risk or stakes riding on it that aren't as expensive mm-hmm. and don't in, you know don't involve a lot of people having to come together and talk about all those things. Mm-hmm. And so the more time you give it, the more likely you are to see a higher price. Yes, and Sam, I'm curious if you agree with me here and I am known for this disclaimer when I'm going to give maybe an unpopular opinion or one of those things that uh, I always imagine someone's listening to this and is like, ooh, Megan, I feel like you're calling me out in this moment. So I'll start it with this. I say this with love. This is how I start it. I say this with love, but I think one of the biggest mistakes that you can make when it comes to speaking to your offerings on that discovery call is having your bullet point listing of unlimited this, we'll do this, we come in here. One, reading them those bullet points is you're you're killing it in that moment and not in a good way. Like you're you're killing the connection, you're killing that like ability, their eyes start to glaze over. If you're doing a Zoom or you're sitting in person, this is where like eyes start to glaze over, the couple is disconnecting. Um, and I think also, I don't know about how do you feel about this, Sam, but I feel like if you're on a Zoom call, pulling up your packages, sharing the screen, like, again, just absolutely not the right way to go about um, doing it. So, yes, those are the ways that you've done. You've asked great questions. You're feeling the connection. And then it you will tank it by saying, OK, now let me walk you through um, our packages. So with our uh Rose gold package. Oh, Telling you, like the I know, I know, I know. Really like, oh, I've, yeah. I'm like, I'm in this defensive posture. Yes, I know. So with our rose gold package, twelve hours. Then we do this. Then this is included, and you think you're, you think, okay, now I've built it, and if I tell them these seventeen things on the bullet point listing, like that's where they're going to be like, wow, value. But it is having the opposite effect that you want. That is where they get off the call and they're like, oh, that was a lot. I, just, I don't even know what to do with everything that just happened there. So if you're doing that, hear this message from uh, me and from Sam that let's stop doing that ASAP. Yeah, it, it creates something what's called psychological reactance where people, when people feel like they're being cornered or sold, they they do one of two things. They fight or or they they flight, right? They, they flee the situation. Um, they either get combative and put up some armor or they end up just tuning out and running away the glossing over of the eyes that you mm-hmm. talked about mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and that's obviously not a desirable uh, uh set of options instead you want to just wait and present it to them when they're ready but they they need more time they they need to process what it is that you just went through it's a, it's like it's a good conversation that you just had end it and move on to the next conversation you have on a different date with this particular yes. client that you could have it takes yes. multiple dates you don't get married on the first one and the discovery call is the first time that you have a date it may take two or three especially with planners it could take more for it yes. to feel really truly like the right fit or to know that it is the right fit because you've got so many red flags to, to watch out for and pay attention to because you're so you're working so closely with the couple and their family yeah 100 percent I would like to know, Megan, just because I've got you on here, kind of the last little segment of this conversation, it, for planners specifically, when you go through and you think about challenges that planners run into, mistakes that are often made during the sales process, what are some of the biggest mistakes that planners make in trying to book full service planning clients, but doing it like you did with event management? What are some challenges that that planners run into if they do get a couple that's interested in full service or they do end up booking somebody or feeling like they're going to book somebody at full service? Yeah, I think some of the biggest challenges are we already talked about the guiding the couples to see the value in having an expert that is allowing them to still be involved in the wedding. And I think that that's something that many couples think if I'm working with a full service planner, I don't get 
to have any say in how the experience is. And someone just comes in and plans everything for me. And, and I want to, I want to be involved in that process. So making sure that when you're speaking with a couple talking about your full service package, that you're letting them know that they get to be as involved as they want to be, that this is a collaborative process. One of the things that I have said so many times on full service discovery calls is it's our job to take the stressful parts of planning and handle that and allow you to really lean in and soak up the joy and the fun parts of bringing uh, your vision to life. And we'll handle all the logistics, the contracts, the setup and the things like that. So I think that's important. And then I think truly it is absolutely paramount that when you are working with full service clients that you walk them through what that's going to look like and have a really solid onboarding process. That is the biggest miss once the contract is signed because, and Sam, I know you have all the fun stats on this, so I I can feel your brain buzzing already. But once a couple has committed to spend such a large amount of money with you, it's then so, so vital that the experience right after that contract is signed is making them feel like they've made the right decision, that they're working with the right person, that buyer's remorse doesn't set in. And they're questioning like, I don't know if I made the right choice. Because once you do that, that's where you turn to having those clients. If you're not nailing that onboarding process, that's where you turn to having clients that are questioning things during the way that are trying to step in and take over the planning process from you because they're feeling fear and anxiety. So full service planning. Um, we're working with clients in a full service capacity. It really requires that you have a system down, that you know what you're doing, that you're communicating those expectations, communicating those boundaries in a kind and clear way to clients. And I hear that so much from planners that we're working it really exclusively with wedding day management clients or wedding management clients. And then when they start booking full service, it feels like a runaway train because the process is so different for that level of service. It is, you know, I work with a lot of planners. It's, you know, probably our number two market segment, uh, photographers, planners, videographers, and then, uh, you know, a, a good collection of the rest. And the challenge that I see with when I work in a coaching capacity is that I can show them how to market and sell their services to, and I can help them design packages and pricing and build the value, all the stuff that we're talking about. But the thing that I haven't been able to help them with is, okay, great. So you booked it now what? And, and part of me, you know, I feel like, I feel like a, a teacher in high school that like got the kid accepted to college. And I'm like, Okay, we got them into the good college like they really wanted to go to. I wonder how it's going to go when they get there. <laughs> and and I've I've heard, I've had some some clients come back to me and they're like, okay, like this is helpful. I I, I realize that I can't book them, and I have booked at at a higher price point, whether it's partial or full service planning or or destination. But then the actual execution of the planning agreement and the services rendered and all of that is more stressful than they were interested in because they didn't know how to do that part and like that's like the sales work is easy compared to all of the things that need to be done when you're servicing a client and working you know two three or more hundred hours on their their project yeah i mean the amount of time the amount of energy the amount of hand holding the amount of research and the way to go about that approach is so completely different. And I do see a lot of planners that are recreating the wheel time and time again, and they're letting their client sit in the passenger seat and take over the wheel, like reach over and grab the wheel. And that is a whole issue in itself because I think that leads to you're having to work even more because your client's grabbing the wheel and all of a sudden you're taking this detour over here and you're having to take a four hour break and then get back on the road. And it just, the bumpiness of that when your full service uh, planning is not clearly outlined and clearly executed for both you and your client, that's what I think leads to burnout for sure in our industry. to a certain extent. Yeah, it's stressful enough to plan a wedding, let alone trying to manage a client that's, you know, trying to grab the wheel. Yeah. I feel like we could have a whole 
conversation, maybe when we're on for the third time, uh, own your business, we can talk about some of that client management. There we go. Although we'll I'm, trying into rope, it. I'm trying to rope my brother into client management, but I can't get him to respond to my emails instead of blowing up. Um, <laughs> true story. True story. Oh, uh, okay. Last, last words of advice. Anything that you feel like we didn't cover in this episode about really important mindset shifts or strategies that you have to pursue if you want to start booking more couples at higher price points, at higher package levels? Yes. I think you need to carve out the time to really step out of your wedding pro brain and put yourself in the shoes of recently engaged couples and what their experience is like, the things that they don't know, and then look at the messaging of your business. So Sam has such great content already on the podcast um, and in other places, but look at the messaging of your business and how you're speaking to the pain points that couples feel, and then lean into that in the discovery call process. But I want to, I think you talked about, um, I don't know if it was a quote that you mentioned, but there is a quote that I often speak to. And basically the quote goes like this. I think it's by Mary Kate Ash. And she says that, um, imagine that everyone has a sign around their neck that says, make me feel important. And I think that making engaged couples and their VIP family members feel seen, feel understood that you've got them, that you know what they're going through and that you can help them get to a better version of that and that they can find that joy in the planning. That's the major point A to point B that you have to be able to connect for them to see the value in spending more money with you. I love that. Make me feel important. That's such an image. I literally had that visual come up of a sign and somebody saying that. It's such a core human emotion to feel connected to other people and to to feel recognized as an individual as well. Yeah. Megan, thank you so much. What a great conversation. I know. Always love chatting. (laughs) You have your own podcast too, with tons of great people on it, sharing great information. Uh, you also mentioned the planners vault. Can you share a little bit more about what kind of platforms you have for people to connect with you on? Absolutely. So our podcast weddings for real, we started it back in 2018. We're coming up on five years of podcasting and there's over 220 episodes for wedding professionals of all the things that range from business shifts to mindset shifts and some fun behind the scenes as well. And definitely go take a listen to that uh, What Engaged Couples Want episode that I talked about earlier here. And then I do have a membership for wedding planners called The Planner's Fault. And that is community and education each month that's helping planners level up no matter where they are in business. Thanks so much, Meg. I really appreciate you coming on. You are so good at what you do. I'm so glad that you got out of not just hotels, but also out of the planning business because you know too much and are too good at sharing information to not do education full time. Oh, thanks, Sam. My goal is to help wedding professionals avoid some of those painful and just costly mistakes that I made during my career that I don't want others to have to go through. Well, you're doing you're doing good work. Thank you for everything. Thanks, Thanks Sam.